like to grab a Bible so we can read God's Word. We're going to continue reading Psalm 119, and today's passage is on page 438. We're going to read from verses 81 to 96. My soul faints with longing for your salvation, but I put my hope in your word. My eyes fail looking for your promise. I say, when will you comfort me? Though I'm like a wineskin in the smoke, I do not forget your decrees. How long must your servant wait? When will you punish my persecutors? The arrogant dig pitfalls for me, contrary to your law. All your commands are trustworthy. Help me, for men persecute me without cause. They almost wiped me from the earth. But I have not forsaken your precepts. Preserve my life according to your love, and I will obey the statutes of your mouth. Your word, O Lord, is eternal. It stands firm in the heavens. Your faithfulness continues through all generations. You establish the earth and it endures. Your laws endure to the, this day, for all things serve you. If your law had not been my delight, I would have perished in my affliction. I will never forget your precepts, for by them you have preserved my life. Save me, for I am yours. I have sought out your precepts. The wicked are waiting to destroy me, but I will ponder your statutes. To all perfection I see a limit, but your commands are boundless. You might like to keep your Bibles open for the second reading, which um, is from 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, beginning at verse 12, and you can find that on page 837. So that's 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 12. Now we ask you, brothers, to respect those who work hard among you, who, o- who are over you in the Lord, and who admonish you. Hold them in the highest regard in love because of their work. Live in peace with each other. And we urge you, brothers, warn those who are idle, encourage the timid, help the weak, be patient with everyone. Make sure that nobody pays back wrong for wrong, but always try to be kind to each other and to everyone else. Be joyful always, pray continually, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in in Christ Jesus. Do not put out the Spirit's fire, do not treat prophecies with contempt, test everything, hold on to the good, avoid every kind of evil. May God himself, the God of peace, sanctify you through and through. May your whole spirit, soul and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. The one who calls you is faithful, and he will do it. Brothers, pray for us. Greet all the brothers with a holy kiss. I charge you before the Lord to have this letter read to all the brothers. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Have my welcome. It's good to be with you this morning. My name is Paul. Uh, we're in 1 Thessalonians. It's my last sermon of this series, so please keep your, your Bibles open there. Uh, I don't know what kind of week you've had. Uh, for me, it's just really good to be at church. It's just good to be with God's people and to be reminded of God's faithfulness. I've had one of those crazy weeks where 
Uh, I've been at Synod, which is the gathering of the leaders of the Anglican Church for a few days. It's been one of those weeks where uh, there's been a lot of pastoral issues floating around, uh, either death of people's fathers or uh, marriage strife. Um, last night I was at a, a ball. Part of my role is a uh, chaplain type thing to the homicide victim support. So over 300 people last night, all of whom have lost uh, loved ones to murder. Um, so in New South Wales, one person is murdered every three days. And uh, just the weight of those pastoral issues, uh, and you come to church on a morning like this morning, beautiful out there, and it's just good to be reminded that God is faithful, uh, that Jesus has died for our sins, that we are certain of eternal life, and we can just sit around God's Word together and grow and be fed. And I pray that will happen this morning as God's Word is taught, that you would meet God and that you would leave here with your eyes fixed again on a faithful God, a God who is true and a God who is loving, a God who is kind, and that would sustain you, would sustain you this week, whatever God brings into your life this week. Let me pray. Uh, Father, thank you that we have the privilege of sitting under your word this morning. We thank you, Lord, for your goodness and your faithfulness. We thank you for your kindness, and we thank you for your sovereignty, that no matter what happens in our lives, we know that you are in control, we can praise you in the morning, in the evening, in the laughing, in the grieving. And Lord, we pray that as your word is opened, that your spirit would uh, powerfully be at work. You know what we need to hear, so please be our teacher and our guide this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. This morning I want to look at the way that we uh, relate to each other. I'm not talking about the way that you live your life with your family or in your workplace or out there in the world. I'm talking about the way that we relate here as a church family. Because uh, that's the word that the Bible uses to describe church. We're a family. Brothers and sisters, older and younger, different gifts, different personalities, but we're a family because we've been bought with the most precious price, the blood of Jesus. Uh, and God's word this morning, it, it really attacks our, our individualism when it comes to church. And that, that attitude that, that I come to church and I sit under the word of God and I sing God praises and, and I go out this week to live for Jesus is I, 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 I. And when the Bible talks about church, it doesn't talk about I, it talks about us. It talks about we, because we're family. And the way that we relate to one another, it really matters. And that's the theme of our final section in 1 Thessalonians. If I had a, a pencil, I, I'd cross out that title, Final Instructions. It's kind of like Paul's got too much to say, so a few quick bullet points just to finish off the letter. There is a theme, and the theme is the way that you relate the way that you relate to the person who is sitting next to you, the, w the way you relate to the person who you find it hard to love, and the way that you relate to your leaders, and the way that you relate to your God. Let's look about the way that we, we relate to each other. How are you going to relate to those people who are over you, who are your leaders, who are your pastors, your teachers? Everyone has their own idea of how to 
how churches should be run. For some of us, uh, our leadership is too dictatorial. Uh, for others, uh, they want more uh, hierarchical arrangements. I don't know how you want your church leaders to relate to you, but according to the Word of God, uh, Paul assumes that there will be a group of people who have been given authority or responsibility to lead. And how are you supposed to relate to them? Here's your word. Respect. Respect those who are over you. That's the word he uses in verse 12. We ask you, you brothers, to respect those who work hard among you, who are over you in the Lord and who admonish you. Hold them in the highest regard in love because of their work. The word respect and the word highest regard, I, I think he's fleshing out the same word. You're to honor them, you're to, to value them, you're to listen to them, you're to, to respect them and to love them and to care for them and to say, yes, you've been given that authority to lead me. Now, of course, we live in a society where so many so-called leaders are in the headlines for all the wrong things. Not for the preaching of wonderful sermons, but for some scandal and not for Amazing pastoral skills, but for some misconduct, not for wisdom, but for bullying or manipulation. And it's very hard to respect those people. Let me say, just because somebody has spent three years at Bible college and has the title of reverend or wears a dog collar, uh, you're not called to respect them just because of a, of, a, of a position. Who are these people you're called to respect? Well, look how he describes them in verse 12. They are over you. That's the notion of some authority. They are in the Lord. That means that they know Jesus and you know Jesus. And they are over you in the Lord. So their, their authority has limits. Uh, they are responsible for the church or for the pastoral concerns. They're not over you in every area of life. But when it comes to spiritual matters, they are over you in the Lord. And verse 12, they work hard among you. They are among you. They're not removed from you. They're not sort of the distant leaders who you, you never see and never know. They, they actually live their lives with you. And they work hard, verse 12. They labor, they toil. How much of that work is unseen? You know, the hours spent preparing a sermon just to make it as clear as possible for the listeners or the hours spent sitting with a person who is so lonely and so depressed, or the hours preparing people for, for marriage, or training, or writing Bible studies, or planning services, whatever it is, they are hard workers. And verse, uh, verse 12, they admonish you. They have the authority to, to say the hard word, to correct you, to reprove you, to confront you. Now, that's the, that's the picture of biblical leadership, not the proud, ambitious, uh, status-driven person, but, but the humble, hard-working, Christ-loving, people-loving leaders. And if that is the case, then we as a church are called to, to respect them and to hold them in the highest regard. And not just, not just appearing to respect them, but inwardly resenting them. It's that genuine respect. You think highly of them. You speak highly of them. You 
communicate your gratitude. You communicate your thankfulness. And you might not agree with every decision that's made, but God has placed them over you. And so, so we listen and we respect and we, we love them. Think about the way that you, your attitude towards leaders, both at this church and maybe other churches or in the diocese. How do you view them? If someone said to you, uh, what, what, what's your pastors like? Do you grumble? Do you complain? Do you criticize? Do you whinge? Do you, do you moan? Do you badmouth them? Do you slander them? Do you gossip about them? That's not respecting. If you've got issues, go and talk to them. Don't talk about them. But can you imagine if someone said, oh yeah, he's a really hardworking, humble, godly man. And I don't agree with everything he does, but I do trust him and respect him. Let me say that these verses are, are dear to me because it was these two verses that caused me to leave a church. When I could no longer respect the person who was over me. And when I'd gone to them and talked to them and sought to resolve it, but I couldn't respect them. It was right that I left. Because I could no longer hold them in the highest regard in love. How do you treat those over you? You, you respect them and hold them in the highest regard. How do you treat those around you? Not just, not just the people you like, but all the people around you, your brothers and sisters. According to verse 13, the word is peace. It, you live in peace with each other. The way that you relate to your brothers and sisters in Christ needs to reflect the character of the God that you worship. And our, our God is a God of peace, and we're called to live in peace. No disunity, no fighting, no bitterness, no factions, no hatred, no envy, no jealousy, no discontent, but living at peace. Now, what's that going to look like? It's going to look like different things for different people. Uh, some of us here are, are the, the first people in verse 14 we urge you, brothers, warn those who are idle. Admonish the idle, the people who are just lazy for Jesus. They come and they sit and they take and they do nothing. And the most loving thing to do to that person to live at peace is to, to warn them or to admonish them. That's a loving thing to do. But some of us, verse 14, are, are timid. That's the person who... Uh, they're, they're anxious about everything and they are easily despondent and they think that they're useless and they think they have nothing to contribute. And let me say that everybody who is reluctant, they don't need admonishing. What they need is encouraging. And that's a picture that you, you get alongside them and you put your arm around them and you walk through life with them and you say, no, God has gifted you. You're a valuable part of this congregation, and we love you. And there are some people in verse 14 who, Paul says, are weak. It's the word for sickly. I don't think he's talking about physical sickness. I think he's talking about spiritual weakness. They're, they're struggling to live a holy life. They're struggling to keep on trusting in Jesus. And not everybody needs admonishing. What they need is, is the word help. Or literally, they need holding on to, clinging on to them, protecting them. 
They need a friend who will walk alongside them and to be reminded of God's grace and God's kindness and God's sovereignty and God's goodness. It just saddens me how quickly we, we write off people. People need help. People need encouragement. People need warning. That's just the action bit. What's the attitude? I reckon this is a really hard bit. Verse 14, be patient with, not with some people, be patient with everyone. So here's what I've learned in ministry. God can and God does work in the most miraculous ways and God does change people. But God often changes people much more slowly than we'd like. God often works much more slowly than we would like. And he calls us to be patient. Because people can be difficult and people can be demanding and people can disappoint us and people will let us down, but we're called to be patient with them. Why? Because God is patient. God is patient. He's slow to anger. He's abounding in love. He's patient with us. He's delayed the return of Christ so that we might... Uh, we might be saved and not perish. And patience is one of those fruits of the Spirit. And if you're a brother or sister, you're called to be patient with everybody. And that means that you won't retaliate. Verse 15, make sure that nobody pays back wrong for wrong. Don't take revenge. If you feel like you've been wronged, communicate and talk. But all that payback, it just undermines the gospel of peace and the gospel of unity. And then verse 15, you're called to try to be kind. Do your best to be kind to each other and to everyone. It's that behavioral word that uh, you build people up. You might pick up the phone and give a nice phone call. or You might visit them or you might do an act of kindness or mercy. This is the, the attitude we have to each other, patience and, and kindness and forgiveness. See, every member of this church family is an important part of it. And I'm not sure what God is saying to you right now, whether he's saying to you, you've got to change your attitude towards a leader, or you've got to change your attitude towards that person that you're struggling with, or you've got to just be patient with somebody, be gentle with them, be kind with them. The way that we relate really matters, because it reflects the God that we claim to worship. Relate rightly to each other. What about the way you relate to our God? When you gather, it's not just a social club. We're here to, to worship God. So what's Paul's wisdom for the way that we relate to our God? He says three things. Firstly, a joyful dependence. Verse 16, 16 to 18, be joyful always. Pray continually, give thanks in, in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. Be joyful at all times. And the word for joy is not being happy. He is not saying, walk into the church building, put on a fake smile and pretend to be happy. Joy is that, that deep-seated contentment that whether you're going through the tough times or, or the most beautiful times, you're utterly secure and satisfied and joyful in Jesus. I'm forgiven. I'm loved. God is good and God is sovereign. 
Someone said this, to rejoice always is to see the hand of God in whatever's happening and to remain certain of God's goodness and God's sovereignty. That's your attitude. Joyful always, praying continually, bringing everything to God in prayer, being utterly devoted to to a, a sovereign God who can change things. I find it hard to imagine that Paul went a day without praying. I find it hard to imagine that people were not prayed for. I find it hard to imagine Paul praying for somebody once and saying, I've done that, tick that box. That constant expression of your dependence on a heavenly father because you're prayerful and you're thankful. You give thanks Look at that word, in all circumstances. We're not giving thanks for the circumstances. There are are things that happen which cause you to wonder why and you find it hard to thank God for the circumstance. But in the circumstance, you can thank him. And that's an expression of profound trust. Thank you, God, that you are faithful, even in the midst of this trial. Thank you, God, that you are sovereign, even when my plans have failed. See, that's the mark of the true believer, joyful dependence. And you need the Spirit of God to enable you to do that. Here's the second mark, spiritual discernment. The next few verses are so rich and they're so refreshing. He says, do not put out the Spirit's fire. God wants to teach you. God wants to communicate with you. God wants to change you. How is he going to do that? Well, don't treat prophecies with contempt. Test everything. Hold on to the good, avoid every kind of evil. When he uses that word prophecy in verse 20, he's not talking about the Old Testament prophets, you know, the the men who had a direct revelation from God and God used them as his mouthpiece to reveal his word. We've got Christ now and we've got the scriptures now. And the church is built on on the Old Testament prophets and the New Testament apostles. So what is prophecy? My understanding of prophecy is it's very broad today. But it's used for the edification of the church. Prophecy is when somebody speaks a, a direct word of particular relevance into your life. Which is aligned with scripture. It doesn't contradict the Word of God, but it has a a sharp edge for just where you're at at this time. That is prophetic. It could be preaching. When someone unpacks the Scripture, that can be prophetic. It could be the open microphone where somebody offers what God is doing in their life at this moment. It just speaks to you personally. That can be prophetic. But here's the issue. God does speak through his word, by his spirit, and through people. And it's possible for you and I to put up a a barrier and not listen to God. Because we're too busy critiquing the sermon rather than allowing God to speak to us. We're too busy having an opinion on something rather than allowing God to speak to us personally. Refusing to listen because we're thinking, oh, not her again. And maybe God is speaking to you directly this morning. But you've got these deaf ears who won't listen. 
According to verse 21, you're to test everything, to weigh it against the Word of God, to weigh it against Scripture. If it contradicts it, ignore it. If it's consistent, then you accept it and you hold on to it and you learn from it and you apply it. I do wonder how much good work, how much transforming work of God He's been seeking to do in us, but we just refuse to listen and we treat prophecies with contempt. Here's my third word for you. This is a liberating one. A humble confidence. Verses 23 and 24 are so refreshing because often we feel failures and often we feel as though this is just too hard and the Christian life, just living for Jesus and loving like Jesus, it's just too difficult. Well, here's the encouragement. Verse 23, May God himself, the God of peace, the one who calls you to live in peace is a God of peace himself, and the God who calls you to be sanctified, to be set apart for Christ, May God himself sanctify you because he is the one ultimately who does change us. May God himself sanctify you completely through and through. And may your whole spirit, soul and body, may your whole being be kept blameless until the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, That's the prayer that you would have this confidence that God would keep you for that last day and on that last day you'll be pure and holy and perfect and you're sitting there saying, That is just too hard. I can't do that. No, you can't. But that's why verse 24 is so true. The one who calls you, the one who has called you out of darkness, the one who has brought you into his glorious light, the one who is your heavenly father, he is faithful and he will do it. It's not down to you. It's not down to me as your pastor or Mark as your pastor. It's down to our God, who is stronger, who is powerful, who is good and faithful and true. And the one who calls you will do it. Isn't that a a relief? Isn't that an encouragement? Yeah, it does matter how you relate to each other. It does matter how you love each other. It does matter you're called to be holy. But behind all of that, and above all of that, and beneath all of that, and in front of all that, is a God who is faithful. And he's the one who will keep you. And he's the one who will do you. Friends, it it really doesn't matter how we live. And maybe you've got some some reconciling to do this morning. Maybe you've got some encouraging to do to walk alongside or some helping or some admonishing. But I just pray that you would leave here with verses 23 and 24 ringing around your head. The one who calls you is faithful. And he will, he will do it. I'm going to suggest that we pray together now. And we just pray verses 23 and 24 for each other. So I'll invite you to join me as we use verses 23 and 24 as a prayer for each other. Let's say this together. May God himself the God of peace, sanctify you through and through. May your whole spirit, soul, and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. The one who calls you is faithful, and he will do it.